All right. Kids, off you go. Good morning. Thank you, Katie. It's good to have you here with us and uh, grateful for your work. Uh, what a joy it is to think, you know, sometimes, I don't know about you guys, but sometimes it's easy to think, is God doing anything in the world? And you hear testimonies like that and realize there's just one little tiny story in thousands upon thousands all over the world. God's doing amazing things right in front of us. We just have to have eyes to see it. So uh, thank you, Katie. Grateful for your work uh, amongst the nations. Let me pray for us and we're going to dive in. So, Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for rest Lord, just as Katie was describing, God, thank you that the gospel tells us uh, it's honest about us. It, we can't do enough good deeds. Uh, but Lord, thank you that you've surprised, you've supplied your son so as to fill up what is lacking in us. So God, help us to rest in him as we open up your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, well, I am hearing voices. Hearing voices, I'm hearing voices at work. Hearing voices uh, when I watch Netflix. I'm hearing voices when I look at Twitter. And I'm hearing voices uh, when I walk uh, to the bus. I'm hearing voices on the bus. I'm hearing voices on the metro. I'm hearing voices in the books I'm reading. I'm hearing voices here in the church. Um, I'm hearing voices with the kids that I coach. I'm hearing voices... Um, with the people that I interact with. I even hear voices at the gas station now when I'm pumping gas. Voices everywhere. I often even hear most often voices inside my own head. There are a lot of voices. And those, so those, uh, that myriad of voices has caused me to wonder, who should I listen to? And even that myriad of, a voice, uh, myriad of voices has even caused me to sort of have some level of despondency because they place all these voices, place all these expectations upon me. And so as a result of this myriad of voices that I'm hearing everywhere, I'm often led to physical, spiritual, uh, even emotional exhaustion. And apparently, I'm not the only one. According to a recent article in the USA Today, quote, everyone is exhausted and no, it's not getting better, it says. The article begins by saying that, quote, the chaos of life and its collision with technology and tragedy has more of us feeling drained, frazzled, and emotionally overrun. The article then asks the question, what's to blame? And oh so unsatisfyingly, they say, well, the list is long and growing. They quote, they say, quote, wildfires, terror attacks, uh, rising tensions with North Korea, racist rallies, political investigations, the nonstop barrage of tweets, more and more mass shootings from Las Vegas to Florida, a tsunami of sexual harassment accusations, the role of Russians in our elections, climate change, and on. Put together, it says, it's understandable why Americans are limping along and running out of gas. And I can tell you as a pastor, I, I feel this uh, even more, all this stuff that sort of comes out in society. I feel the urge now to go and educate, I think a good urge, to go and educate myself on matters of sexuality and of gender roles and of racism and of abuse. Every time something new comes out, I feel the need to go and uh, understand these things better so as to minister to others and understand them from a biblical perspective better. And that's in addition to the work I'm already doing of just praying for people, teaching the Bible, and trying to care for people in my own life. And so you and I, we are hearing a lot of voices. 
Bring a lot of voices. And those voices are creating expectations and demands upon us, which lead us into worry, anxiety, and exhaustion in order to try to keep up with it all. The great thing is, is God's word, when we open it up, speaks directly into this. The passage this morning speaks directly into this. And let me just say, guys, this morning, uh, as I've been preparing for this passage this week, I've been especially attentive to the need of us to understand this. One of the things I hear from you most often is how exhausted you are, how busy you are, how full you are. And so I'm hopeful and I have been prayerful that the Lord would use this time in his word to give us some rest, to give us some sort of peace amidst all of this exhaustion. So let's turn now to the word. Let's take a look at Luke chapter 6. Uh, it's on page 861 of those black Bibles that are in front of you. Luke chapter 6, verse 1. On a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, the he there is Jesus. On a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands, But some of the Pharisees said, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? Now stop there for a moment. Remember, remember who these Pharisees are, right? We talked about them last week. These are a group of guys. The Pharisees are a group of guys that have set themselves apart from the larger portion of the Jewish population. They're very, they're very motivated to strictly obey the word as well as the traditions that have come out of that word. That's who these guys are. You remember last week they challenged Jesus about his authority to forgive sin. We looked at that. And we also saw last week they challenged Jesus about whether or not his father or why his disciples were not fasting. And in both cases, last week, you remember we saw both cases, Jesus corrected them by helping them understand who he was. Right. And so remember last week we saw that he was able to heal the lame man and forgive the sin because he was the son of man who had authority to forgive sin. And remember, we saw that he, he, he told them about being the bridegroom, that he was the bridegroom. Therefore, there was no need to fast since the bridegroom was with them. And then remember, he gave those three parables uh, that essentially the main point of those was you can't try to fit Jesus into your own system. You can't try to fit him into the old covenant, even though it's related to the old covenant. You can't try to fit him into whatever system you want him to. He is the way and the truth and the life. And so he is the truth. You try to fit him into any other system, it will tear, it will burst. We might say it might lead you to exhaustion. So this passage comes right after that. And here we find the Pharisees, they still don't get it. They're still trying to fit him into their system, not into Christ himself and who he is. And the reason is, again, because they don't understand who Jesus is or why he's come. And the problem in the eyes of these Pharisees as it relates to this passage is these these disciples plucking some grain. I even think Luke is very illustrative here and rubbing it together um, on and eating it on the Sabbath. That would be they're, they're interpreting that as work and therefore they're disobeying the Sabbath. Now, for those of you that are unfamiliar, the, the Sabbath was part of the covenant that God made with Israel. It's embodied in the fourth command of those well-known Ten Commandments. Um, You can read about it here in Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 to 10. Here's what it says. Remember the Sabbath day. This is the Lord teaching the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day, which would have been a Saturday, is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. 
On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So in short, the Jews were to not work on that Saturday. They were to not work. That was they were to stop working and to rest. And so therefore, it was not just the absence of work that they were supposed to do. They were also there was the absence of something work, but there was also the presence of something absence of something. No work. The presence of something. And that is rest and redemption. See, Moses says he's Moses is the main guy leading God's people out into the land, but he cannot go into the land. And just before the Jews go into the land in the Old Testament, uh, Moses reiterates those Ten Commandments. And he says this in relation to the Sabbath day in Deuteronomy chapter five. Here's what it says. This is Moses again reference in verse 12, Deuteronomy five twelve. He references the observation of the Sabbath. And then in verse 15, he says, in relation to the Sabbath, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and outstretched arm. So the Sabbath was meant to be the absence of work and the presence of contemplation, presence of remembrance, presence of meditation for what the Lord had done for them. So y'all you put that file away for a moment. Hang on to it. Got it. We're going to come back to that at the end of the sermon. So hang on right there. But here we see the Pharisees understand Jesus' disciples to be breaking these Sabbath laws. It is believed that these Pharisees saw that the law was being broken again in that they were working by picking that grain and rubbing it and eating it. So the Pharisees then question Jesus' disciples and then we get Jesus' response in verse 3. And Jesus answered them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, the son of man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Now, first off, don't you love how Jesus steps in for his disciples? I just love this about Jesus. Notice the passage says the Pharisees charge the disciples and Jesus kind of comes up like, listen, boys, I got this one. I'll just step aside. Right, comes. That's what Jesus is like. He cares for his own people. Right? And Jesus says, uh, he, he refers to this, this event with David. He refers to an event that you can read about in 1 Samuel chapter 6, or sorry, 21. 1 Samuel 21, which is an earlier part of the Bible. Which, by the way, reminds us yet again that Jesus believes the Bible. He follows the Bible. He submits to the Bible. But here he recounts this story that the Pharisees would have known really well. And this is the story of when the Lord's anointed king, David, He's on the run from this guy named Saul, who was the rogue king of Israel at the time. And in the process of that, he goes to the temple and he eats the bread of the presence, which was bread, as it says, that only the priest could eat. David was not a priest. And yet he eats it and he not only eats it, but he also gives it to his pals there that are with him to eat. And so the Lord's anointed king was able to eat this bread. Right. It was only to be eaten by priests. But then Jesus moves from that story in verse five. And then he refers to himself. The son of man is the Lord of the Sabbath. So, guys, this is a massive claim. What Jesus is saying here, massive claim. Don't let anybody tell you that Jesus understood himself to be a good teacher, a prophet or something like that. A good example. 
by him making this claim, he is making a massive claim. So first off, let's evaluate that claim. Now he is the son of man, the Lord of the Sabbath. So let's evaluate that. First off, he uses his favorite title for himself, son of man. All right. So that's, that's used. He'll use it 26 times in the book of Luke. It's a reference to the prophecy of Daniel back in chapter seven of Daniel, verse 13 and 14. Where it says there in Daniel 7, 13 and 14, Old Testament, one like a son of man is going to come. All dominion is going to be given to him. He's going to have a kingdom that cannot be overcome. And Jesus is saying, I'm that guy. I'm the answer to that prophecy. When he says, I, the son of man is the Lord of the Sabbath, he's referring to himself as that. But secondly, Jesus claims to not only be the son of man, but also the son of man we see is the Lord of the Sabbath. Now, again, remember, the Sabbath was part of God's covenant with Israel. And as we read, the the, the Sabbath was a holy day. Holy means set apart. It's a holy day, a day set apart for the Lord. And so Jesus is saying that holy day does not rule over me. I rule over it. Huge claim. Huge claim. Jesus is saying that he is the king of a holy day. Yet again, if you're looking for more evidence as Christ being the son of God, there you go. Jesus understands himself to govern the Sabbath, not have the Sabbath govern him. Therefore, the Pharisees, he understands, have no right to tell him what can or can't be done. By him using that story with David, he's saying that if there can be an exception for the Lord's anointed king, David and his boys, well, there can surely be an exception for me, who is the king of kings and his boys. His Lord, his great anointed king. So this is the point of this part of the passage. By the power of the Holy Spirit, Luke, the author, is driving into Theophilus' heart and mind who Jesus is so that we who have submitted our lives to Christ might be certain regarding the things we have been taught about Jesus. This is who he is. This is who he is. And who is he? He is the Lord, the Son of Man, the Lord of the Sabbath. Now, what exactly does that mean, you ask? Well, the immediate point is to say to the Pharisees that he's greater than the holy day, as we've noted. Uh, We've seen that right in the angels singing at his birth. We've seen that in the father saying that this is my son of whom I have pleasure. And so, Christian, listen, you are not crazy when you say Jesus is the Lord. You're not right. It's very clear. It's right there in front of us. We have reason to submit all of our lives to him. Jesus understood himself that way. Scripture presents him that way. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. But again, what exactly does that mean? How do we flesh this out? What does it mean for us? What's an application, as it were? Well, consider for a moment, yet again, what your Savior is like. Not only is he the king of the Sabbath, as it were, but by his being king of the Sabbath, we learn that Jesus is king of the day that says, stop and rest. That's who he is. He gladly, Jesus gladly identifies himself as the day of the day that says, stop, stop, just stop working and rest. One more time. Jesus is identifying himself as Lord of the Sabbath is saying, I am king. I gladly identify myself as the one that says, stop, just stop and rest who he is he loves that that's who he is what a message for a generation of people that is exhausted 
that this is who the Savior is. This is what he is like. Friends, there is no other religion outside of Judeo-Christianity that tells you this. None. Stop and rest. You can't get that, as Katie referenced, from Islam. You can't get that from Buddhism. You can't even get that from close religions like Eastern Orthodoxy or Roman Catholicism. And you certainly won't get that from the message of progressive ideologies. Their message is the opposite of stopping and resting. It's work, work, work. We've got to keep up the momentum. We can't get left behind. We've got to keep going. Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. This is who Jesus is, the king of the holy day that says stop and rest. And that alone, there's all kinds of things that we could chew on right there. But what comes next tells us more about Jesus and what he intends to do as Lord of the Sabbath. So, so far we've seen that he is the Lord of the Sabbath, that he gladly identifies himself with that day. He is divine because he's over a holy day and he intends to tell us to stop and rest. But what does he, tell us, what does he intend to do on, in that rest? What is he going to do? Well, that's what comes next. Look at verse 6. This is going to answer what he intends to do in having a stop and rest. Verse 6. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them all, he said to them, said to him, stretch out your hand. And he did so and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and disgust with one another what they might do to Jesus. Okay, so here the Pharisees are up to their tricks again. They show up to church, as it were. You know, sort of not, not trying to grow in their love for God, trying to understand the word and live in light of it. They, they show up to church. They show up to the synagogue in order to try to take Jesus and his ministry down. That's what they're doing there. And by the way, that still happens today. Maybe you're here for that reason this morning. You're not here to learn about love, about loving God, loving neighbor. But you want to take Jesus and his ministry down. These guys, this is so, it's 2,000 years old, that kind of mindset. still going on. But regardless, these guys, they've shown up to kind of use the old Sabbath laws to try to take Jesus down. And so showing Jesus' divinity yet again, he shows their thought, he knows their thoughts, and he then brings the man up. I love that Jesus is like this. He's like, oh, you guys are thinking about that. Well, let's just bring that whole thing you're thinking about front and center, right? He brings the dude up in front of him, and he asks the, the great and provocative question, is it lawful to do good or to do bad on the Sabbath? What do you guys think? I mean, how do you answer that question, right? The obvious answer there, but uh, it, we, we actually learn in a parallel account, we learn that he, he looks around in the book of Mark, as an other book in the New Testament. It says that he asked that question, then he looked around at them in anger. Brings them up, good or bad on the Sabbath, what do you guys think? And he's kind of, Jesus internally is kind of, we think guys, come on, you know, that's sort of his... It's his mentality. He's ticked off. Now, why is Jesus so ticked off at these guys? This is critical for us to understand. This is huge. The reason why Jesus is so upset is because these Pharisees are taking the word of God that was meant to give life, even a day, the Sabbath, a day that was meant to give life, 
And they are using it in order to take life. That's why Jesus is so angry. Taking the Sabbath, the word of God, the teaching, and they're using it to twist it, to contort it, to take life from people. Instead of using it to give life to people. And so Jesus illustrates what's supposed to be done. He tells the man to stretch out his hand and by his word, the man is healed. And look what happens to those Pharisees. How do they respond? They get upset. Right? They, instead of being happy that the man's hand is restored, instead of being happy that the Lord of the Sabbath is there and he's healing them, they're furious at Jesus. And why is it the Pharisees are upset? Well, because Jesus isn't following their rules. It's not because they weren't following. What they did was, guys, they, they were abusing the word. And they were upset that Jesus wasn't following their rules. And why is it Jesus is upset? Because their rules, because their rules entail using God's word, abusing it, twisting it to take life instead of renew and restore life. Which is what the Sabbath is supposed to do. This real healing, friends, describes the ministry of Jesus. But in particular, since the context is the Sabbath, it illustrates for us the real healing that the Sabbath was intended to do for us. What the Lord of the Sabbath intends to do us. To call people, to call you, to call me, to stop, to rest, and to be restored. The Sabbath wasn't put in place to hurt people, but to help people. As we see in this instance, to restore people. It's a great name for a church. So Luke as well, that was a cheap one, wasn't it? I just threw that away. But Luke, who's the author of this passage, as well as Matthew and Mark, these are two other uh, authors of two other Gospels, they put these two stories, all three of those accounts, put these stories right next to each other in order to help us understand who Jesus is and what he intends to do. Namely, that he's the Lord of the Sabbath. As the Lord of the Sabbath, he intends to make us stop and rest. And then what's he going to do in the rest? He intends to then restore us. To take our withered hearts and make them new again. And this brings us back to where we began this morning. How many of you would describe yourself as exhausted? Yes, all the hands going up. I'm with you. How many of you are hearing all of these voices and as a result you're being slowly worn down? That'd be me. How many of you have hearts as a result that are withering away? The answer, friend, is to go to Jesus. Go to the Lord of the Sabbath. Stop working. Rest. Be restored in His presence. Now, I know that when I say that, I know what many of you are thinking. Nathan, that sounds good from a pulpit. And it's even peaceful to hear. But what does that mean exactly? What does that look like? How do I, how do, I do that? So here's what I want to do with the remaining portion of our time. I want to try and represent all of those voices that we're hearing and show how their collective voice is wearing us down and exhausting us. And then I want to come back in right after that and show a little more practically. I'll kind of with, I'll kind of work down a little more practically as to how Jesus is our rest and how we enter into that rest and are restored. You with me? That's what we're going to do. 
So we're going to kind of take the collective voices. I'm going to represent those collective voices, how they're withering us down. Then I'm going to come back in and show how Jesus means for us to stop, to rest, and be restored. That's what we're going to do. And just to kind of, uh, just to kind of alert you, especially those of, those of you that are used to being here, I'm going to kind of swerve away from the text for a little while. But trust me, we're going to come back in hopefully for a smooth landing. All right, at the end. We're going to come back into the Word. So first, let's talk about those voices. See, I think most of us haven't taken the time to realize why we're exhausted. We don't take the time to actually think, why am I so exhausted? I'm going to give you a couple reasons. I'm going to give you two kind of broad, abstract reasons and maybe one more personalized reasons. These are not all, these are not all the reasons, but these are just some of the reasons. Uh, and so one of those uh, two abstract voices that I'm going to represent for us is an obvious one, technology. This is one way in which we are being exhausted. Now, the average adult in America spends somewhere between 11 and 12 hours a day on screens. Computer, phone, tablets, or TVs. 11 to 12. There's, by the way, there's 24 hours in a day, if you all didn't know that. That's a lot of hours. As a result, the average American adult consumes then five times more information in a given day than our counterparts 33 years ago in 1986. We consume, therefore, as a result of all the screen time, uh, uh, we five times more information in a given day. And by the way, this is from a report that was produced eight years ago. So it's probably more now. So just to think about that, in 1986, the average adult received the equivalent of about 40 newspapers of information per day. 1986, the equivalent, 40 newspapers of information a day. In 2011, we were being hit with information that is the equivalent of 174 newspapers each day. Our minds, friends, are amazing things. And they are able to adapt. But they cannot possibly process that much information. Which explains, in part, why we're so mentally fatigued. But also, staying under technology. On average, we are picking up our phones some 60 times a day. And when we pick up our phones, on average, we will look at them for study show for just under a minute and a half. And as if this is not enough, just consider the content that we are looking at on those phones. Think about how often we flip from one app or one image to the next. Scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. Then consider how many advertisements or other links within those things that we're looking at there are. And how easy it is to switch inside of them. And then think about those text messages that come in as you're looking at that stuff or the notifications of your whatever news app or thing that's coming in as you're looking at all those. So this explains in part why we're so distracted. Why we're so distracted, right? It's why it's difficult for you to listen to, say, a 45-minute sermon and not look at your phone. Right? You're tempted right now, aren't you? So in part, in part... Technology explains why we are mentally fatigued, why we're so distracted, and then one more under technology. Technology can also describe why we're so discontented. Just think about the ways that social media and the access to goods and services can play upon our insecurities or desires. This is so true in the Christmas season. If you watch your Instagram feed, you'll see friends and their sort of travel experiences or the pictures of the great food at this great restaurant, right? And you'll either want that or busy discontented with your ramen noodles or, you know, the vacation you took to Daytona Beach instead of going to wherever, you know. And you'll kind of feel this need to kind of keep up. 
Or you'll go to other places like Amazon.com or Nike or Pinterest, and you'll learn about 100 things that you didn't even know existed that suddenly you now want, right? Or you're aware of stuff that now the thing that you do have, like you see you need to upgrade that, right? Or thirdly, you'll access impure services that will play upon sensuality in such a way as to corrode your view of other image bearers. Damaging your view of beauty, purity. So in short, internet best, uh, internet based technology is not the reason, hear me, is not the reason for these problems since they have existed before technology came into existence. But technology has increasingly given rise to these things. Mental fatigue as a well, as a result of overwhelming amounts of information, distraction from the people and places that are around us, and discontentment with what God has given us. These voices are overwhelming us and leading us into exhaustion. But now a second voice. Work. Work we know as Christians is good. God worked and it was good. The book of Proverbs talks time and again about the importance of work. The Bible commands us to work and to work unto the Lord, for this is pleasing in God's sight. And while it is so easy to kind of pick on a lot of you guys for overworking, so many of you do great things that make our world a better place. And I just want to thank God for you. you know, I think about uh, everybody from uh, the folks that stay at home and do homemaking to uh, all of our bevy of NIH employees that are here, uh, to, the, to lawyers that do good work, to literal rocket scientists, to... All these other things, social advocacies. You guys are doing amazing things to make the world better. Praise the Lord. But many of you work too much. Just as Proverbs warns us about being slothful and not working, we also can make the opposite error. We can work more than we should. Sacrificing sleep, physical health, meaningful relationships, not to mention the most important relationship between us and the Lord as a result of our overworking. And guys, all of those things are like bread and water, right? Sleep and physical health and meaningful relationships with God and one another. That's like bread and water. You don't have those things, you won't make it because God built the world that way. You got to have those things. As it relates to overworking, one author wrote on the subject that, quote, Americans work longer hours, have shorter vacations, get less unemployment, disability, and retirement benefits, and retire later than people in comparably wealthy societies, unquote. A recent study showed that for today's young people, finding meaning at work now outranks family and kindness as the top ambition. They've even created a new word for, work, a word for it called workism. It's when work becomes a kind of religion. It's part of who we are. It's where our identities are grounded. I love how Oz Guinness, author Oz Guinness, puts it in his book on calling, a great book. He says that when it comes to this notion of calling upon our lives, there's the Catholic distortion and the Protestant distortion. He says the Catholic distortion of calling is that when we say calling is only reserved for folks like me to get paid to be religious, right? That's the Catholic distortion. The Protestant distortion, which would be ours, is when we understand our calling to be reserved to what we do, our jobs. Our jobs become our identities, and as a result, we work too much. And so this then leads into a third, more personalized voice that we hear so often. So we have technology, we have overworking, and thirdly is our personalized fears and anxieties. 
Personalized fears and anxieties. These fears and anxieties are the result of any number of things. It may be as a result of technology. It may be a result of work. But also, it may be because you were the victim of some terrible event in your life. It may be because, as a people, we are more aware of danger, and so we've become more fearful in general. Or it may be that our idolatrous frame, which is is governed by what other people think of us. And that leads into all kinds of insecurities. But whatever it may be, as people, while we have more financial and educational security than we've ever had, we've grown more lonely, more anxious, and more fearful. This then leads us to place our hopes in things that will help us overcome those fears and insecurities. So we place our hopes in more financial security or more material possessions. Or we place our hopes in certain kinds of relationships like a spouse or children or even the perfect church that doesn't exist. And tell you, if you think it does, when you get there, you mess it up. Right. (laughs) And while these things are not bad, these things in and of themselves are not bad. Many of them quite good, important. Placing our hopes in those things will only create more despondency. Only increase the exhaustion that we're already experiencing. So from technology to overworking to personalized fears and anxieties, we might begin to understand our exhaustion. There are two major ways in which I think the world is sort of calling us to respond to this. Two major ways to respond to this exhaustion that we're seeing out in our society. Like the Pharisees, one side would say, well, listen, if you perform the word better, if, if, you're, if you're a better Christian or you're, you're more faithful, more religious, if you can do that, if you, if you read your Bible more, give to the church a bunch, you know, don't, don't, don't go to church all the time, feed the poor, these kinds of things, you do that enough, then you'll have rest. Have peace. The other response is similar to the Pharisees, but from the other side. It says that if you work hard enough to find your true and authentic self, then you'll have peace. Whatever that may mean, find the right job for you, advocate for the right things, take a little bit of this spirituality, that spirituality, whatever works for you, do the kinds of things that you like in your free time, then you'll find your authentic self, then you'll find rest. But friends, the reality is both of those messages are wrong. Want to know why? One real simple reason. Because both of them depend upon you to get it done. And you can't do it. I can't do it. We are bad performers. You might have a good week and a bad week. You know, maybe when you heard Katie talk about that sort of, when when I heard her say that, that sort of scales, are we so different than them? Whether we're religious or irreligious, we're just the same. So when when we rely upon our performance, It will go bad on us. Remember why Jesus was so upset with those Pharisees. Do you remember? Those Pharisees had taken the Sabbath, something that was meant to give life, and they were using it instead to take life. And the way that they did that was by painstakingly measuring Jesus and his disciples' performance of the law. Instead of focusing on the life-giving elements of the Sabbath, they twisted it and contorted it in such a way as to make man work for the Sabbath. Instead of having the Sabbath work for man, as the Lord intended. In other words, they took the Sabbath, the Pharisees took the Sabbath, and they turned it into a demanding employer. When it was supposed to give life. Trusting in yourself to perform well enough, no matter what that worldview might be, trusting in yourself to perform well enough and have all the right circumstances lead you into the good life of rest will never work. It never has. 
Never has. The world has been trying for thousands of years and it's never worked. Not once. So you ask the question. All right, Nathan. How do I find rest? Well, that's where I want to finish up. If rest for our exhausted souls is not found in performing the law or performing our true selves, then what is it? Well, again, it's by looking to the Lord of the Sabbath. It's by looking to Jesus as the author and perfecter of our faith. It's all right there in front of us in those 11 verses. But again, I understand you're saying, Nathan, help me a little bit. I've seen this sort of stuff, the voices, I've seen that. Help me understand what it looks like to look to Jesus as Lord of the Sabbath to give me rest. Work that out a little bit, all right? I'm going to give you three brief ways as to how Jesus is our rest, four practical ways how to enter into Jesus and be restored. Here we go. They're going to go quick. Stay with me. How is it Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath? How is it Jesus is our rest? How is it, we might say, Jesus fulfills the fourth command? Here we go. Look back, look up, look forward. What do I mean by look back? First off, look back. Look back where? You know this. At the cross of Christ. (laughs) Look back at the cross of Christ. I'm so thankful to the saints of Temple Baptist, how they put this, you know, they have this, you see this cross that sits right in the center. We look back, like I'm looking back at the cross. Our exhaustion is is ultimately a result of our rebellion against God. That's where our exhaustion ultimately comes from. It's a result of our attempts to go our own way to find rest without God. Or at least to use Jesus like a lucky rabbit's foot or a spiritual Red Bull to accomplish our own dreams and visions. And that, friend, is why Jesus came. To pay the debt of our sin that has caused all of this exhaustion. You guys remember that passage from last week, Luke 5, 32? Jesus says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Think about that this Christmas season. He came to call sinners to repentance. Jesus came not to call people that don't think they need him. Nor did he come to call people that just want to use him. He came to call people that were desperate for grace. That knew they were sick, that needed the great physician to heal them. That knew that when they looked down deep inside, like we're so often told, they said, the answers are not there. The answers has to come from out there. To come in and save me. Jesus came, friends, to defeat that sin. The ultimate reason for all of our exhaustion. Look back at the cross and find rest. That's how Jesus is our Sabbath rest. Our Lord of the Sabbath. Let me... Read for you how Paul puts this. He puts it so clearly in Ephesians 2, 13 to 18. He says, but now, he's writing to the church, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near. You should be asking how, right? By the blood of Christ. For because, for or because he, Jesus, himself is our peace. We might say he himself is our rest. Who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace, so making we might say rest and might reconcile us both to God in one body. How say it with me through the cross one more time through the cross. Cross, look back to the cross to find your 
rest. That's how Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. He thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those uh, who were near for through him. We both have access in one spirit to the father. Find rest for your rebellion by looking back to Christ on the cross. Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath rest because he has put rest to the hostility of our sin there to look up. And find rest. That is, look up to where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, representing your righteousness. We are not measured by our work. God always looks at his uh, children over his right hand. The rest of your righteousness is found in Christ as he is seated at the right hand of the Father. Therefore, we no longer have to work for our rest since Jesus has already performed it for us. Jesus has done it all. He sits, he sits, he sits. What do you do after you're done working? You sit. He sits at the right hand of the Father pleading the merits of his performance of the law, his blood on your behalf. And because he does, beloved, You no longer have to be like these Pharisees and earn your way to heaven. You are already in the Son by grace through faith. So look up. Let me give you a verse to this. Colossians 3. Let's put some Bible on this. Colossians 3, 1 to 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Here's the word. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. And so, friends, Jesus has fulfilled the law. You no longer have to. Such good news. You think about that Muslim that's sort of tired with Islam, just a constant performance. There are Christian churches that open up the Bible and lead you to believe that you have to do better in order to find righteousness. And that's just not the gospel. Jesus has performed our work, and so therefore he has sat down at the right hand of the Father. So we look up and we're reminded that it's not our work that makes us acceptable to God. It's Jesus who has finished, and so he sat down. So we look back and we see our rest in the Lord of the Sabbath and that he accomplished our uh, rest at the cross. We look up and be reminded that his work completed all of the law and he sat down at the right hand of the Father. And thirdly, you heard it there right in Colossians, we look forward. We look forward when Christ, who is our life, appears, then we will appear also with him in glory. That's what it says. Let me read you another verse. First John 3, 2. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Brothers and sisters, that day's coming. A day is going to come from that eastern sky when Christ will return and we will see him. And we, 1 John 3 says, we will be like him. Perfect. Bodies will raise. Perfect. No more exhaustion will be like him all of our sinful habits all of our exhaustion will wither away like that that guy's hand in a moment jesus returns and we will finally enter into our forever rest that guys is the final chapter of redemption and we know that that day is going to come because all the other chapters have been accomplished there's only one left to be written one left to be accomplished and that's when jesus returns so we know it's going to come 
And that's the day that we wait for, our final and forever rest in the new Jerusalem. Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. He is our rest. When we look back at the cross, see our sin is paid for in full. When we look up and see him at the right hand of God, resting in his performance of the law, pleading it on our behalf. And thirdly, we look forward to the day when Christ will return in all of his glory and we will be ushered into the new and forever rest of the new Jerusalem. And all of our strivings will come to an end. But we all know we're not there yet. We're still left to struggle here, which is why the author in Hebrews says, after talking about the fact that Jesus is our rest, he says in, a, in Hebrews 4.11, let us therefore, this is not the word we were hoping to read, strive to enter into that rest. So how do we do that? This is the question that I asked 25 minutes ago, which you've been waiting on. So we've, we've talked about how Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. We've talked about what he intends to do on that Sabbath, restore us. We've shown the kind of voices that are causing, in part, some of the exhaustion. We've seen now how Jesus is our rest, the Lord of Sabbath. So now, last, finally, how do we enter into, more practically, how do I enter into that and get restored? Four ways. One, repent and believe on Jesus. I don't want to assume that everybody in this room, in a room this size, 130, 140 folks, I'm assuming there are a number of you that have not done that. You've not trusted in Jesus. You've not turned from your sin. You're trying to pay your sin off. Or you've just used Jesus to kind of get your own dream and vision. Listen, friend, turn from your sin. Trust in Jesus' sacrifice wholly to save you and to reconcile you to God in your inner interests. Turn from sin. Trust in Jesus, the author of your salvation. His sacrifice on the cross, his resurrection. Repent, believe on him. If you want to do that, come talk to me after service. Second way we enter into that rest. That's the forever rest. That's how you get in, as it were, by grace through faith in Jesus. Second, for those of us that have believed, keep the Sabbath. Maybe you weren't expecting that one. I thought that was the one, Nathan, we don't do anymore. Right? (laughs) The Sabbath keeping has got to be one of the, like, least taught topics in all of modern-day evangelicalism. Nobody ever talks about it. You ever notice that? Hoping in heaven and Sabbath keeping. Nobody talks about those two things. We gladly uphold the other nine commandments. But what about that one? Well, it's true that Jesus is our rest. But friends, I believe that there is an element in which that Sabbath is still in order. That command is still in order. Just like the other nine are. Jesus is our Sabbath rest. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. But the Sabbath is still in order. So how do we enter into that? How do we keep the Sabbath? Well, first off, we cease from thinking of Sundays as just another day of the week. The kind of the day in which we can kind of catch up on the rest of the stuff we didn't get done. The day in which we kind of get back from what we already were doing. And we prioritize the gathering of God's people. This is sort of strange. I'm saying this to a bunch of people that are already doing that. But, 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 but in other words, in your heart, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to map on a couple things for us, right? Map on. It's not just show up to church or where else, right? The pastors are going to get you. Call the boogeyman down on you. Like, that's not, that's not what it is. I want you as your pastor to come to church, not so you can check the box, not so I can call up the Southern Baptist Mission Board and let how many people are in our service. I could care less and we'll even do that, by the way. But nevertheless, the important thing is, the important thing is I want you to be here so that you'll find rest and restoration. That's why. If you don't prioritize this gathering and it's sort of the thing you do when nothing else is going on, 
then you're, don't be surprised when your affections for Christ are cool. Don't be surprised. When this gathering is seen as just an obligation, don't be surprised that your affections are cooled. God gave this gathering as a good gift to His people so that you would come to the Lord of the Sabbath and you'd have rest and then your souls would be restored. Alright, here we go. Y'all remember back 40 minutes ago, Deuteronomy 5? Here it is. What did, remember what, what did Moses say to do on the Sabbath? Remember when I delivered you from Egypt. That's Some might say that's the Old Testament gospel, New Testament gospel, the true gospel. Jesus Christ come, death, burial, resurrection. So that, now that's what we do. Every single Sunday, what do we do here? We do three things. We pray the gospel, we sing the gospel, we preach the gospel. This gathering is so important for us because it's when we come and reminded of what God has done. And in so doing, we do that together, by the way. We do it together, just like God's people will be together forever. And we do that in our souls as a result of coming together. Our souls are rested and restored as we consider what God has done and will do. So map those two things together. I'm, there are times in which you're like, how dare Nathan say such things as a pastor? There are times in which I'd rather not go to church. But like, I love, listen, I love going to church. You want to know why? Because I know I need it. I need you. I need, and you need me. And I need this to be opened up and, and, and point me to Jesus every week because the rest of the week, man, I'm drained. So all right, most of us coming on Sunday mornings, we're like Jacob. We're just limping in here, right? And we're exhausted. And then hopefully after this service, we're reminded of the beauty of Christ and what he's done. And our souls are built up. We're renewed. We're restored. And we go back out and then we limp back in here next week. And we get restored again and on we go. Keeping the Sabbath, prioritize the gathering. But after this gathering, do the kinds of things that restore your soul. Right? And by the way, I don't want to do what the Pharisees did. Create a bunch of that extra laws. Right? That would be really bad. Right? Do the kinds of things that restore your soul. Some of you, like, you'll want to run three miles today. And you love that. It restores you. Some people are like, are you kidding me? That's work. But like, if that restores your soul, then do that. I, I would argue from Scripture, don't work. Sometimes you have to. There's seasons that happens. That's cool. But don't make it a habit. Right? Right. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, do not forsake the gathering of God's people as some are in the habit of doing. So don't, don't keep working and not show up here. And, and then also the other stuff, after you come here, don't go back home. And so far as you're able, that may mean you might need to work harder in the other six days, but try to not work when you leave here. Do the kinds of things that will bring rest to your souls. And as you're going about that day, yes, take a nap. That's glorious, right? Naps on Sundays. But but make sure at some point, I like to do this one before I go to sleep every night. I'll just say, what I literally, I'll lay down and I'll tell, what, what, what did I read in my devotional this morning? And I'll just remind myself of that and then I'll go to sleep. So at some point on Sunday afternoons, just remember that we talked today, here it is for you, Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. He's calling you to rest and be restored. Do whatever it is you do, try to not work. Rest. Third way we enter into Jesus as the Lord of the Sabbath. Y'all know what's coming. Y'all know the next two points. Read and meditate on the Word. Sabbath keeping alone on Sundays will not be enough to make you not be exhausted. The Lord of rest is going to speak to you as you go to Him in word and in prayer. 
meet with him there. And notice I said read and what was the other one? Meditate, right? Meet and meditate. It's not enough to read. Think about it. Non-believers read the Bible, right? We read and we meditate. By meditate, we're treasuring it. The word's got to sink, right? That requires meditation. So we, we are hit, remember, with the equivalent of 174 newspapers of information a day. So for this, for the glory of Christ and rest to enter in our souls, it's going to have to sink down in there and get deeper than the rest of that stuff that's operating up on the surface. That's going to come by meditating, ruminating, considering what we've read in the morning. So one of the things I like to do, again, just as I reference, I grab one thought. Grab one thought and I just sort of think about it. That might be for that day. I might go, I've been uh, meditating on Psalm 119, 165. Great peace have those who love your law. None can stumble. I've just been thinking about it. great peace, great peace. Have those who love, do I love your law? Man, Jesus loves your law. He had great peace. I'm just thinking about these things. When I'm walking to the bus, when, when it, 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 it's your job, just look out the window. Just, it's, just take, take 30 seconds, look out the window and think about it. When you're on the metro, just sort of try to think about these things. When you have lunch, talk about it, pray that. Psalm 119, 160, just pray that. Find little ways throughout the day to sort of let that one thought just sort of sink deeper in on you. And you'll find peace. We repent and believe. We keep the Sabbath. We read and meditate on the Word. Finally, you know this one, we pray. In other words, that's how we go to Jesus. We pray. Look at verse 12. We'll think about this more next week. I'm landing the plane. See what it says there? In these days, right after the very next verse, he went out to the mountain to pray and all night he continued in prayer. This is in advance of a major decision. We'll think more about this next week. He prayed. If you're anything like me, one of the first things that goes when you get busy is prayer. A lot of us still take the time to read, but that's easier. It's harder to pray. It requires slowing down, being attentive to the work of the Spirit. It requires stillness, requires contemplation. But folks, if we are prayerless, that means that we are faithless. Prayer is the exercise of faith. Prayer says, I need you. So if we don't pray, we don't exercise faith. And if we don't exercise faith, then who we put, who we trust in? If we're not praying... That means we're trusting in somebody, and oftentimes that means me, which explains probably more than anything else why I'm so exhausted. We trust ourselves too much, and we don't trust the Lord enough in prayer. So, beloved, if you are going to enter into the rest of your Redeemer and be restored, if you're going to know and go to the Lord of the Sabbath, you're going to have to strive to meet with Him in prayer, make it like a sixth sense. It doesn't have to be that 30 minutes in the morning. It can be just collectively throughout the day. Jesus has got to be in every room and every circumstance. You've got to lean upon him for strength if you're going to find rest for your souls. These are just some of the ways. I could mention more that you enter into the Lord as the Sabbath, as your rest. And so, beloved, look to him. Treasure him. Find rest in him as he seeks to restore us and make us right again until he comes. Let's pray together. Lord, we repent of the ways that we neglect you. We repent of the ways that we mistreat the Sabbath. We repent of the ways that we're so self-sufficient. We repent of the ways in which we're so distracted. And we ask you to restore us by your grace. God, don't let us walk out of here 
thinking of the stuff we need to do. Let us walk out of here being reminded that you are the Lord of the day that says stop and rest. So may we find peace to our exhaustion by looking to you and finding rest in you. And as we do, restore us, God. May we be different than our neighbors because of this rest that we have in you. Pray this in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen.